Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Pasó con todo Bellerín, Christensen al piso, le llegó a Pepe que busca ángulo de disparo, lo vio Bameyang, cuidado con él y puede ser, y puede ser, y puede ser un golazo. ¡Gol! ¡Golazo del Arsenal! ¡Golazo de gol, Bameyang! Is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to an FA Cup final winning Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James! Goodly morning, 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 goodly morning. Wow. Alarm clocks around the globe will be changed surely to that from now on. Sure. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking like. London Calling would work very well with Goodly Morning, wouldn't uh, it? yeah. Goodly, Goodly Morning. morning. <laughs> Except I was just a bit too hungover yesterday and, uh, to, to do anything with that, which is maybe, maybe for the best. I don't want to butcher a, a great song like that, but it's, there you go. Look, it's good to save something for number 15, isn't it? That is true. That is true. I love your, uh, your optimistic outlook on this, given the fact that the FA Cup is essentially our trophy. We just lend it to other clubs from time to time uh, and just take it, it back whenever we want. It absolutely. I mean, and, th- and now it's ours. We ha- when you win it fourteen times, you have permission to smash it up. It seems, yeah. Dismantle it, break it into tiny little pieces, and share it among the team. <laughs> Everyone can have a little morsel, a little nugget of FA Cup to chew on as they get the bus home <laughs> to wherever party they went to. Um, I, how are you feeling on Monday morning? I have to say, I was very. Um, overcome, perhaps, is not quite the right word, but almost overcome with with happiness and excitement on Saturday evening because it was a tense affair. It was a tense afternoon. We won the cup. We all knew the implications. Saturday evening, I was absolutely buzzing, and not just for myself, but for, you know, for everyone at the club, for the players, for the manager, for the coaching staff, you know, for the fans all over the world who have been through the absolute ringer this season. And no doubt we'll talk about all that. Uh, I, I was sort of hyperventilating with happiness, I think is the term I used on the uh, the Instant Reaction podcast I did mm-hmm. with, with Elliot. Um, and that was me at home watching on TV, trying to take it all in and soak it all in. You were there. What was it like um, trying to balance your, your joy as an Arsenal fan, um, 
seeing us win the cup with the the work that you had to do and the sort of I guess the veneer of professionalism you had to put on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for that. That's it okay. is only a veneer, <laughs> after all. Yeah, uh, it was interesting. I mean, I was lucky in that I happened to be sat around a few guys, some from the Arsenal uh, staff, you know, who were there for the online mm. team and things like that, and a couple of journalists I know who, let's say, hold Arsenal quite dear in their heart. So there was uh, an element of feeling a bit like I was sort of among friends. And because everyone was more socially distanced as well, Mm. you know, there was kind of a fair distance between every journalist, about four metres or so. It wasn't like I had Henry Winter next sat next to me sort of checking that I was being a good boy. <laughs> I was I was I was able to sort of do a bit of jumping up and fist pumping. And actually when Arsenal won the trophy, um I sort of made sure I sort of got down quite near the front for mm. the presentation. And you know, I was like, if it given that there are no fans here, anyone who is here that is a fan should at least sort of embrace that to an extent. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. seems ludicrous to kind of maintain that professionalism once a certain Well, of course. Look, I think if Ian Wright can coach Rob Holding through the game from his position in the commentary, (laughs) the BBC gantry, I think it's perfectly reasonable for Arsenal supporting journalists uh, to enjoy the moment while they were there. Yeah, I think they're less likely to kick Ian Wright out uh, than they might be me, but Mm. you're absolutely right. And uh, in fact, my favourite aspect of being there... um, was leaving because, uh, as you might expect, a load of Arsenal fans had kind of accumulated outside Wembley and all the journalists were in the same car park as the as the, the Arsenal staff mm. and where sort of players were emerging from. So I got to drive out uh, of the car park in my uh, little Vauxhall Corsa uh, with the Arsenal fans lining the streets, sort of peering in, thinking, is this one of the really poor players? Um, <laughs> and I got to sort of beat my horn and they cheered. And it was like nice. a nice sort of communal moment. I got to feel a bit like what it's like for a footballer to feel like in that moment. So, look, it was great. And it's I was very, very, very lucky to be there. Mm. And I'm sure that a lot of people are really jealous. I would say, if you mm. watched it at home, with a mate or with someone you care about or someone else who's like an Arsenal fan and you were able to celebrate it all like absolutely wholeheartedly knowing everything that it meant I'm jealous of you too do you know what I mean yeah sure it's this, there's, there's positives and negatives to it. Yeah, it was weird we asked uh, Ian didn't we on the the pre-game Arscast Extra if the fact that fans weren't going to be there would diminish the occasion in some way. And he, mm-hmm. he insisted that wouldn't be the case. And there were some interesting shots during the game. There was one from behind Mikel Arteta where he's sort of directing play. Uh, the, 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 the orchestra guy, what do you call him? The conductor. And he's waving his arms and he's, mm-hmm. you know, moving his players here and there. And all you can see are these banks of empty seats in the background. And it was quite striking, quite stark. But once the game was won and once the the players were celebrating on the pitch and once the people who were sad were being sad in plain sight, uh, which I also enjoyed, you know, it didn't feel to me like a, a diminished occasion. It was a shame, obviously, because... You know, for fans to be there to to share that experience is, is an amazing thing. For the players to connect with the fans in that way, it would have been amazing. But I don't feel like it was it was really missing um, something fundamental in the way that it might have done if the result had been the other way. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose this is where sort of digital media and social media shows uh, what a positive force yeah. it can be. That Arsenal players were kind of connected to fans in those moments, and there were there were lovely things like you know players whose family weren't there out on the pitch at the end, kind of FaceTiming them, yeah, talking yeah. to them. You know, fortunately, technology kind of enabled us to bridge some of those gaps. But yeah, look, it would have been great to have the party mm. that uh, the players absolutely deserve with the fans. I mean, it, to be honest, it looks like quite a lot of fans did have a party down at the stadium anyway, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is that I've seen on social media. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was uh, it was great to see them have that release because this has been such a I think for supporters too actually a, a crazy crazy season yeah. and then this last part of it so intense and condensed with so much going on and to be rewarded for yeah. all that hard work I was really delighted. Yeah, I mean I think you're right. Intense is a really good word because there were games every three or four days we were lurching from oh well this is good or maybe we'll make Europe or we won't make Europe. Oh yeah. god now all of all of our European eggs are in this FA Cup final basket. Um but I think it's a reminder as well that when something like this happens, when you win a trophy, when you have some success that there's a, a sort of a collective shared experience between Arsenal fans and to see everybody so happy. Like, you know, it's it's a it's a part and parcel of life that even though we're all Arsenal fans, there are differences. There are differences of opinion and, you know, m- most people can express those in a in a fairly mannerly way. There are people who who don't do that. But I don't want to get hung up on that. I just mean that when when something good happens, the way it brings everybody together is a reminder of what's so beautiful about football and what's, for me anyway, it's special about Arsenal. I know that's probably true if you support another club that wins things, but, you know, I don't have that experience. I only have it with Arsenal. And for me, it's a special club and, and you know, to share it, whether it was online, on Twitter chats, on Discord with our Patreon members, you know, WhatsApp groups, all of the ways that we connect as fans these days for everybody to be so happy. I was just de- delighted, you know, uh, in yeah. general. I think we we have been through a lot this season and there are there are discussions to be had and, and things to learn from and everything else. But in the moment, just to enjoy something in its purest form is uh, it's just wonderful. It is. And, you know, I know that we sort of suffered for it at times this season. But I also think on the other side of the coin, we have to be uh, grateful and we have to acknowledge that as Arsenal fans, we've... we've We've won a lot of shit. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, even in these kind of really difficult, you know, end of Wenger years and trying to recover from that, we keep winning stuff. And they're really the big days that you remember and what it's all about. So, mm. yeah, we've got to be thankful for that too. And even in our, an absolute shit show of a season, really, our worst season in terms of league form for what, 25 years, yeah, maybe yeah. more since the 70s? I mean, we still yeah, won to, a to, cup. <laughs> We still won a cup. That's amazing. And yeah, uh, yeah it, it was, I mean, it was great, but it also felt slightly surreal. I kind of couldn't believe that the roller coaster that we had been on ended, you know, in this kind of serene fashion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I did say this to you before that it would be like the most apt way for this crazy season to end after everything we've been through to somehow come out of it on a on a massive high mm. with a trophy it just could not be any more surreal than that like that's not 
in the script when you look at what's happened to Arsenal this season, you know, and uh, to be fair, without wanting to blow my own trumpet, I think I did predict the exact same result, uh, the exact result of the game on Very Friday. Good. Very good. 2-1 I mean, I... defeat, 2-2. Two, two. The next in the sequence, it had to be a 2-1 for Arsenal. Why, why was anyone worried? <laughs> <laughs> I um yeah I I fear for the scriptwriters at Arsenal you know when they have to try and top this season mm. uh next year I think you know end the show now I don't really know where they go from here we've really jumped the shark to be honest in terms of twists and turns but yeah 2-1 uh, we won it we came from behind as well yeah I mean that is uh, you know I think it's been a bit glossed over we were losing in the final and we turned it round which isn't um, something we've done a lot of this season is it we've we've thrown away leads more than we've hauled them back I think yeah yeah and I mean we'll get onto the game proper but I have to say when the first goal went in as early as it did mm. I was feeling very very bad <laughs> I was I I I I thought of you when that goal went in actually it was a really? weird thing yeah I was I was because I was, banged on about how important the first goal was. Kind of. was about that. <laughs> kind of, but I was sort of thinking, I, I was wondering what the experience of it was like there as opposed to watching at home. And I, I was obviously yeah. doing the live blog for our, uh, for the site. And, and I was thinking, well, you know, we're both kind of sitting there with our laptops. I wonder, is it easier to deal with if you're there in the in the stadium? But look, let's let's go on to the game. Let's talk about the game. We can talk about the, the ramifications, the implications and, and everything else and, and some of the other stuff after. Um, the team lineups, any surprises at all? I mean, you were right to think that Maitland-Niles was going to start, which he did. And from a Chelsea point of view... Uh, there wasn't really anything surprising there beyond maybe Mount and Pulisic starting. The thing I suppose that we can take from the Chelsea lineup is uh, welcome Willian to Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, I mean he he was he was telling people on the day uh, he was injured, but you know he mm. wasn't exactly on crutches. I do think that's definitely one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I mean I don't get a lot right, but I did get the team right. It was the semi-final team basically, wasn't it, mm. with Mustafi? Uh, out and and Rob holding in. Chelsea lined up with a back three, pretty much as expected. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 to be honest, that first, I don't know, 15 minutes, I mean, we'll get onto the goal, but Chelsea were giving us a lot of problems. Um, yeah. And Arteta was doing some of his most ferocious pointing uh, in those early periods of the game. Mm. And, and I have to say, Go on. sorry, in the stadium, the, the problem appeared to be that... Pulisic and Mount were, you know, although ostensibly the wide men, not really playing wide at all, particularly Mount. Mount was just, mm. although he was, you know, theoretically the right-sided player, dropping into the space between our back three and Shaka and Ceballos. And before their goal, I don't know if you remember, there was a, he had a shot from range where he received the ball in that Ooh, space. Yeah, he Martinez. should have played Giroud in it, I think. He should have played Giroud mm. in, and he had the shot. It was you know a fairly comfortable save for Martinez, but he was in that space, and it was giving us loads of issues. And, and Arteta's solution to it, which worked relatively well, actually, was he basically told Tierney, wherever Mount goes... You've got to go with Yeah, you. I noticed that because uh, there was a, a, a 
in the first half where Tierney was over in where on you right might imagine side. the right-hand centre half to be yeah. and he'd followed Mount all, all the way over there. I, I thought Chelsea started very brightly. It was a kind of worrying start. There was that moment when Shaka got robbed in midfield, something we haven't seen for quite some time. Uh, so it, was, it stood out actually. Mm, mm. Um, but the pressure they put on in midfield, I just felt we were just a bit too passive in there. It was too easy for Chelsea to, to pass between the lines and to turn and drive at the back three at the defenders um, and I was worried and I wasn't even slightly surprised that the goal went in to be perfectly honest I felt like it was kind of coming in a way um, yeah I mean we, we had another issue which uh, was obvious in the stadium I don't know if it was obvious in telly which is that Lacazette was kind of caught between two stools because what he has been doing recently is that thing where he's sort of the deepest of the front three mm. and he's on he would have been on Jorginho, you know, the whole game if it was if it was Man City. But Man City and Liverpool, who he played like that against both played with a bat four, not a bat three. Yeah. And when Chelsea had the three centre halves, Lacazette was it was kind of incumbent on him to close down, you know, Zuma or whoever was at the heart of mm. the bat three, as well as tracking Jorginho. And it just meant like you say, Jorginho was able to get on the ball and play it between Shaka and Ceballos, and, and and their goal. In fairness, you know, once they once they get into that final third, it's good play. I mean, Giroud, it's a lovely flick and a, a very good take, isn't it, from Pulisic? It is. It's good feet, and I think Tierney had a decision to make. Um, yeah. yeah, he did. In which he could have fouled the man and given away a penalty, and potentially potentially seen himself sent off so it was a split second decision I think he had to just kind of uh, allow the guy and hope that Emi Martinez might make the save but it's a good good finish a good goal from Pulisic um, but you know in classic football terms they scored too early they scored well we had a early. chance before that didn't we I mean Obama Yang, yeah. the header <clears throat> and, and that was a bit of a forerunner for where our threat would come in the game in that it was Maitland-Niles going down that that left-hand channel, um, yeah. and he, he, both he and Aubameyang sort of, you know, uh, were a constant menace, I think, in terms of exploiting that space. Yeah. Um, even if Maitland-Niles' delivery from the left-hand side maybe isn't what you would ideally hope for. Well, yeah, I mean, he... he but it was very good in that case. Yeah, it was. I mean, he generally has to cut back, but I, I think we saw... Um, we saw... You know, the benefit of Maitland-Niles in terms of what he can bring to the team, he's, he's really, really quick... There were a couple of times where he just absolutely raced away from probably Aspilicueta or or Reese James down that side. So Reese James is not slow at all. No. I mean, he, and Maitland-Niles had him on toast. I thought. Yeah. So look, we we get to the drinks break, and it's clear that Mikel Arteta had a word about what he wanted his team to do in terms of exploiting that space and and looking for Aubameyang over the top, which is where which is where the penalty came from. Mm-hmm. Um, Tierney with the ball, Aubameyang going straight through. Uh, what did you make of the decision to only issue a yellow card? I thought it was pretty borderline, to be honest. I yeah, thought- I mean, the, the grounds was Rudiger covering, wasn't yeah. it, I think? Yeah, Um I mean, it's really hard to know with those ones. You know, it's very difficult to sort of play it forward in your mind and see if Rudiger would intercept Aubameyang or not. I mean, knowing how quick Aubameyang is, I do have my doubts about that. Yeah. Um, it was it was a bit like the Man City goal, wasn't it? In that it was Tierney's ball down the line, and he just raced onto it. I thought I 
thought Aubameyang did well to win the penalty, to be honest with you. And I was so... If you'd offered me a penalty or a free kick outside the box and sending off, at that point of the game, I actually would have taken a penalty because I think Arsenal needed something to get a foothold in the match. Um, yeah. And, and he, you know, because the foul starts, what, about 22 yards out, something like that, mm. starts tugging him. And Aubameyang sees the white line, he gets into Keeps the box. Keeps going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes down. I mean, is it a red card? Maybe, maybe not. I think on the balance, though, the referee probably did us more favours than, than uh, us. So uh, I'll, I'll live with it. I'll live with it. Yeah, good penalty too. Good penalty. Really good penalty. Yeah, um, uh, yeah I mean, I, I heard you chat about this on the Arsenal Vision podcast about if no crowds are a factor in that. I don't know, but it was a it was a bloody good penalty regardless. Yeah, I don't really think I don't really think that's the case. I think he he picked his spot. He went for it, and if you there's one of the angles actually where. If you pause the ball just before he kicks it, there's no doubt as to where he's going to put it. And Caballero kind of gambles early and goes completely and he the knows. wrong way. Caballero is watching it go past him, yeah. which is quite a nice shot. I mean, yeah. th- I think that's the end he missed against Spurs. Is it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I did have my heart in my mouth slightly for him, but it, he looked very, very, very focused and it was a great penalty. And and that was uh, Arsenal sort of back in the game. And, and suddenly my hope was restored. Genuinely at 1-0 down, I thought, oh, I can't see it. This is not going to be pretty. Um, mm. But in credit to Arteta, the, the drinks break really helped turn things around for us I think it did and I think we played well in the the rest of that first half we were we were unquestionably on top uh, in terms of the pressure we had a load of pressure of uh, a rake of corners just before yeah. half time as well and uh, there was a free kick I think from Lacazette which went which went wide, but it was from a good position, and it was a reward for the for the way we played the game within their within their half. Yeah, there was uh, in that run of corners. There was a Pepe cross from the right. That that cross he does where he cuts back, which Maitland-Niles almost got on. That was a, quite a good chance, and we 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 mixed it up. You know, mm. it wasn't all short passing from Arsenal. We went long into that channel, particularly on the left hand side, and it just it kept working. I mean. Yeah. I think Michael Cox wrote a piece today about how Chelsea just didn't live with it and they didn't really find a way to counter it. And in Tierney and Louise, we had two outballs on that side and we really, really exploited them. So it was... It was smart from Arsenal. I'll have and to, um, yeah, I'll have to have a read of that. Um, yeah, I mean, we should mention yeah. the disallowed goal as well, I suppose, because that wow. was a that was a beautiful piece of football, and uh, uh, Maitland Niles' arse was offside. Uh, <laughs> so so gutting, isn't yeah. it? especially for Pepe, who I thought. I thought I had his best game for Arsenal. Actually, I'll, I'll say I have uh, got a I, I've got a question about that. So let's save that we'll for, for part that, two. But I I tend to agree with you. He, and I know you can read too much into this, but I was watching the warm up and he was banging shots into that top corner. I mean, time and time again. You know, sometimes you know it can mean nothing but sometimes you watch a player and there's just a sharpness about everything they're doing on the day and I saw that in him pre-game and I saw it in the way he executed that shot Mm. Um, I wish it counted for him but the good news is we're getting him into the positions where he might be able to do things like that more and more often yes second half was a little more even there were some toing and froing I guess Uh, I remember a couple of a couple of balls through from Chelsea which almost uh, found their target Almost, and we had a you know a couple of half chances as well. But let's talk about the second goal and the winning goal. Um, 
Before we do, go on. can I just say a yeah. couple of things that I think did go in our favour? And like I say, Arsenal, I think, were the better team, but they also mm. had the breaks. Either side of half time, they get two hamstring injuries. Um, some sort of sniper on, on the top of Wembley Stadium uh, takes out Azpilicueta and then Pulisic, which was the Pulisic one was quite extraordinary. I don't think I've ever seen a player try and take the shot on with their torn hamstring yeah uh, I mean I don't know if that will have helped him massively but him coming off particularly as Piloqueta wasn't having a great game yeah. as it was I think was another little boost in our favour it certainly was uh, we, we, we had a question here from Beardy McBeardface at Bearded Hannon who said I celebrated Pulisic's injury like a goal am I a terrible human being and uh, I don't think you are I genuinely don't think you are. I think in a game like this where the stakes are so high, you know, it's not like you want someone to get injured much. And, and know, it's not much. like he's suffered a terrible leg Yeah, it's break. a hamstring. He's a, he's a sprint athlete. He's suffered a hamstring. Yeah. That's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's terrible for him, but, like, that's good for us. That's good yeah. for us. You know, I, I didn't celebrate like a goal, but I wasn't unhappy. I didn't no. really feel sorry for him. And I know that some of our American listeners, uh, you know, given his, his status there, might not agree with this. But, you know, when you need to win a cup final, you take every little thing that goes your way. And he's far from the worst, you know, um, character at Chelsea or anything like it. Um, but, you know, that's just the way it goes. That's sport. It's happened to us plenty of times and there have been plenty of uh, opposition fans who've taken uh, uh, a great joy and, and relish in some of our players getting injured at key moments. I think you're right. It did help us because he is a really good player. He's he really and- good. I was the most relieved man at Wembley, let me tell you, because I had spent the day calling out Pulisic on his terrible TikTok dancing and saying, this man cannot be allowed to lift the FA Cup. He obviously <laughs> then went on to score the winner, which in, resulted in me being inundated with abuse from Arsenal fans <laughs> about how I jinxed it. and It was all my fault. But fortunately, I was able to put a hex on him that made his hamstring explode. A hex so powerful, it also injured his replacement, Pedro. So, yeah, it, was, uh, it did help. But, I mean, that first period of the second half, it it was more even-handed. There was a kind of... There was a moment where I thought Aubameyang might score, where he, his shot was blocked. I don't know if you remember it. It was like a flowing yeah, move down the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He couldn't quite get the shot away. But Chelsea were growing. And I remember thinking, ooh, we could do with another one of those water breaks now. <laughs> Mikel Arteta, he loves a water break. I'm going to have a water break in everything I do in life. Midway through this podcast, we're going to have a water break and Mikel Arteta is going to come on and point and shout at us and everything's going to be better in the second half. Well, I mean, the, 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 the goal came before the second yeah. half drinks break. So I know. So I was I was praying for the drinks break and I got a goal. So my prayers were more than answered. All right, fair enough. You got value for money there, that's for sure. Um, I mean, it's, it's a good goal. I think Hector Bellerin, to me, is looking like somebody who is perhaps finding his his uh, physicality again. You know, he, he looked mm. quicker. Uh, that drive, that burst through midfield is something we've talked about a lot this season, isn't it? That we don't have players who can do that, who, you know, can break between the opposition lines either by carrying the ball or by passing the yeah. ball. And it just shows you the value of of endeavour, of initiative in midfield, because that's where he was. He took it through, pushed it on. Uh, there was the incident, I think it was Christensen, and they both went down, but it, it fell to Pepe, then to Aubameyang. But it came from just, rather than playing the simple pass backwards to holding and going around again, mm-hmm. let's go forward. Go forward and things happen. And I, I, I really like that part of the, uh, of the goal. 
Yeah, and there's a physical dimension to it. He found an extra gear that I don't think we've seen from him too often since his comeback. But I, it's more the psychological dimension of it that I really like. It was a really courageous run. And, you know, let's not be around the bush. When he goes into that challenge for Christensen, he could get really hurt mm. now. I mean, you know, it's a bit... And it's actually not a terrible tackle, I don't think. I think it's a, a decent enough... I think he gets the ball. But, um, you know, it's brave from Bellerin. And it's brave play. He sort of drives it on. He makes something happen and mm. um, when the ball breaks actually credit to Pepe because it comes at him at a really funny angle I think on his right foot and he manages to sort of kill it and bring it under his spell which keeps the move alive finds a Bamiang and from then on mm. it's just world class isn't it yeah I, I really quite liked the listen in videos that are going around where you can hear yeah. what the players are saying and uh, is it Jorginho who tells Zuma right foot right foot and then he goes, oh, zoo, as Aubameyang comes on his left foot. I mean, I mean, you almost wonder if he hears it. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. he said after the game, I know Zuma knows me well. He knows I'm going to go on my right foot. They played together at St Etienne, you see, for two years. Right. And he was like, so I went outside him on the left. But, I mean, to say that in the immediate aftermath of a game, having scored that goal, I mean, that... <sighs> You never think about it, really, from from the striker's perspective. And I'm sure it's a bit more instinctive and it happens quicker than that. But it just shows you the kind of calculations that are going on. And the way he executes it is perfect. I mean, look, Zuma's got to be unhappy, but he's also absolutely left for dead. And the finish on his weak foot... I mean, for Granit Xhaka to be celebrating that before before he's even taken the shot on on his weak foot tells yeah. you the red-hot form. That oh, my God. Through. Just an amazing goal. And uh, it's not the kind of goal we've seen him score a great deal for Arsenal. You know, he, he, he tends no. to be a first-time finisher when he gets the ball in the box, uh, sometimes as a touch, but more often than not, it's a first-time finish. Um, we've rarely... I don't know how many goals he scored with his left foot. Can we find that out? I don't know if we can. Uh, it's not very many. Um, and I only know that because I wrote about it. Uh, it's, I'll, I'll try and find out while you talk about what a good goal it was. Yeah, I mean, just from the point of view of, of what people expect from Aubameyang, uh, it, it was a, an extraordinary goal uh, for him to score um, compared to some of the other ones. And on the occasion, on the big stage, the way that he scored it, um, unbelievable. Zuma turned... Inside out, inside out. I think I said in the blog on Sunday, it's like one of those things when you see a cartoon character and someone spins around them and they just get, their skeleton comes out, you know, because uh, they've just been so bamboozled by what's happened. The finish is unreal with your left foot. The finish is absolutely unbelievable. To do it with your right foot because you've got such control with your favoured foot, you know, um, I just, I mean, what a goal. What an absolute dream of a goal to win an FA Cup final. I agree. Uh, he has scored... I can't find it. Not many is basically what I remember finding out. Uh, and only a couple of headers for Arsenal, I think two or three. Mm. So, yeah, it, it's just a sensational goal, a fitting way uh, to win the cup final. Right in front of Ian Wright as well, I think, who was down in that corner. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, to score two goals in a final... You know, that that is the Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang final, really. And it will be remembered as such, I suspect. I think I found it. Hang on. Um, oh, here we go. Goals with the left foot, eight. Eight in the Premier League. That yeah, is, then. goals yeah. with his right foot, 43. So, yeah. So, not, not many. Unbelievable. What a goal. What a goal. 
Yeah. About 14% of his Premier League goals have been with his left foot. Right. But maybe he should do it a little bit more often. I mean, it, it gives him another option, doesn't it, to go outside? And that was just a sensational finish. And actually, uh, once that went in, and then we had a water break. Yeah. Oh, man, I was like, we're, ho- we're home and dry. Well, I think the, the sending off uh, certainly calmed my nerves in that respect. Yeah, me too. It was unbelievably harsh. I think. I mean, that's not... It's a, a crazy... It's crazy that VAR can't change that, isn't it? I mean, I'm not complaining, but it's properly mad. <laughs> it is. It is. But also, fuck him and fuck Chelsea and, you know, fuck everyone involved with that uh, football club. Basically, sure. I, I couldn't care less. I mean, if it were the other way around, of course, we'd have this big discussion, a contentious issue happening to Arsenal and we would hate it. But it happened to someone else. And enough bad shit has happened to us this season for us to worry about bad shit happening to someone else. It was another nice uh, piece of fortune for us, I suppose. You know, uh, just after the start of the second half, they lose Pulisic. Just after the drinks break, they lose Kovacic. Um mm. Do they have any more players with itch at the end of their name? Well, no, but I tell you what, actually, um, at some point in the first half, David Luiz uh, murdered Olivier Giroud in cold blood uh, <laughs> by inserting his elbow, I think, into his arsehole. Uh, <laughs> judging from Giroud's reaction, I mean, I've got to tell you, in the stadium, the scream was very, very funny. It's very funny on the video. It's on my Twitter and I put it on the blog today. I cannot stop watching it. It's just like the... It was a proper, like... <laughs> it was like Lewis Capaldi warming up. It was an incredible sound. I, I It brought back so many memories of seeing Giroud go to... But obviously with a the crowd there, you sort of have that, you know, without the, the audio accompaniment, to hear the, the cries that, accomp- that accompany the anguished face. It was very funny indeed. Oh, and, and actually, credit to Louise, he he basically kicked Giroud out of the game and that was fine with me. Did we not talk about exactly that, the way that mm. you need to um, you need to deal with, uh, with Giroud is basically to kick him. Make him uncomfortable. Make yeah. him uncomfortable, yeah. You know, it's, it's just... Oh. It was glorious. And that, that bit is absolutely unbelievably funny. If you haven't seen it, I don't know anyone in the world who, who couldn't have seen it at this point. Um, it, it's just the, the, the combination of the scream, the toppling over, the falling on the ground, and then Danny Ceballos running by and just sort of pointing at him. Oh, my God. Olivier Giroud, uh, he may have done us uh, a disservice or or whatever you might call it in Baku, but this time, uh, you know, he goes down as an FA Cup final legend for me. (laughs) There he is. Uh, And and another respect in which we were helped in the second half, I guess, is that Chelsea's injuries, you know, we spent a lot of time worrying about Chelsea's bench and their options from the subs, you know, but that was reduced. Because they had two injuries, they only had one further opportunity to make changes, um, which, you know, made things a little bit easier on us. I'm trying to remember 
now if there were sort of any nervy... I remember thinking, this doesn't feel quite as comfortable as it maybe should, given that we've, we weren't keeping the ball yes. with the extra man. I was a little bit worried about that side of things. I thought that with the extra man, we might just have a bit more control in the game, just keep the ball, move it around, circulate it. You know, and use that I extra man. I shit myself when Kolasinac came on, obviously. Well, what about what about the Emmy Martinez moment when he... Ooh. <laughs> what did you... I mean, when it happened in real time, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, well, the, my the, God. He's go, he's I, good. Our goalkeeper is going to get sent off in an FA Cup final. This is the most absurd season of all time. And then play just went on, and they never showed a replay of it. And I was like... The cover-up. It's a cover-up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I was pretty much in line with it, and the guy next to me was dead in line with it and said, oh, he went out. I mean... I've only seen the still that Arsenal fans are circulating, <laughs> which is the still where his legs are outside, but his hands are inside. And if that is correct, then it's a genuinely extraordinary piece of judgment. Um, mm. Either way, I thought it was a fitting tribute to Lucas Fabianski's antics in the 2014 final, oh where he tore off his line towards the wing. Uh, it was a heart-in-mouth moment, shall we say. Oh, for sure. For sure. And look, I think there's a video on the BBC, whatever, and they show it, and it is that. His his legs are outside, but he's holding the ball on the line. And to be fair, to do that, and then to have the momentum to go back the way rather than further out of your area is really quite something. Well, he had to get there, actually. I mean, yeah. you know, he didn't necessarily have to catch it and carry it out, but he he, he had to get there. Abraham was in over the top and, uh, you know, he had a decent starting position, which helped him. But, it, yeah, I mean, the fact that he pulled that off, high risk, but mm. very, very impressive. Those final... 10, 15, 17 minutes when they had seven minutes of, of extra time were mm. were nerve-wracking. I really think they were. I know we had the lead. I know we had they like were. 10 men, but but I felt, um, I didn't feel that well. I did not feel that well. I did not feel that well when, when Pepe looked like he'd fouled Pedro just outside the box and Ooh, the referee. That was a foul, yeah. <laughs> I, it was one of those where he got his leg across and got the ball, but I think he had to take the man to get the ball, if you like. Um, Arsene Wenger once called Anthony Taylor dishonest to his federation. And let's be honest, I'm delighted about his dishonesty to his federation. Uh, long may it continue. <laughs> well, I you say. said, didn't you, on, on the preview that Chelsea fans, uh, you know, think that Anthony Taylor hates them. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I think, I think they might have he a may. point. <laughs> I, think he, I think he may. <laughs> Statue at the Emirates, I think. Oh, God. And then, look, Pedro was really dangerous when he came on, picked up that injury, brave piece of goalkeeping by, by Emi Martinez as well. He had to, you know, collect some crosses and some uh, some corners in, in the final few minutes. But we did it. We held on. The final whistle went eventually. Um, someone pointed out to me on Twitter um, yesterday, isn't it mental how um, Pedro picked up a really serious injury? It looked like a really, really serious injury um, yeah. was taken off after minutes and minutes of treatment on oxygen. And he didn't make anywhere near the same kind of sound as Olivier Giroud, who got a little tap in the back. <laughs> That's very, very true. I mean, it was a kind of... Uh, I found it quite a nervy last few minutes as well because we made changes to our defence. And that's sort of one of the golden rules, isn't it, of, mm. of preserving a lead. You keep the back three intact. But um, Louise came off for Socrates, who... That was... <laughs> 
They, they must have strapped him on the roof of Wembley, had him struck by lightning to bring him back to life. I mean, just to see him come out, I was like, what's going on here? That was um, so bizarre, that substitution, where, where they were clearly about to make a substitution and David Luiz is just sort of wandering around the sideline, wanders oh, back yeah. onto the pitch like... I know. He wanted to stay out there, I think. But, uh, yeah, and then Kalasinac for Tierney, which, you know, is, I mean, mm. with love, a downgrade. Um, but, but we did it. We held out. for, And, oh, God, when it was, how long was added on? Seven minutes, five minutes? Seven minutes. Time. Well, it was like the 110th or 112th minute when the, the whistle went because of the stoppage to Pedro and, right. and everything else. Um, I was just sort of, I was like, just get him off. <laughs> get him off and yeah. blow the final whistle. Um, you know, again, uh, maybe it's not the most uh, human uh, reaction, but, you know, as a football fan, as an Arsenal fan reaction, it was a bit like, oh, God, what's going to happen here? They're going to play like an extra 17 guess- minutes of time because he's been down and everything else. Yeah, but- yeah. I think the, the one thing you can say is that the, the stoppage for Pedro meant that, I mean, I think it would have been difficult for Chelsea anyway with 10 men, but mm. it, it sort of pressure didn't accumulate in the way it can, yeah. you know, in the final minutes. It, it took the sting out kind of but they kept saying stuff on TV like they cut to Frank Lampard uh, and Jody Morris on the the sideline and uh, some of the Chelsea substitutes sitting there um also David Luiz sitting there with his feet up having come off uh, there's a great yeah. shot of him but anyway you know they kept saying on TV well the Chelsea player they know the game is up here they're looking very disconsolate and I was going shut up shut up shut up you're going to make something happen here if you just keep saying that. And then Lampard looks at, they know that's it. That's it. It's slipping away from <laughs> Chelsea here unless something... There's nothing that could possibly no, happen. No, there's no I, way they can get back into this now. It's like, shut only the fuck a up. crazy defensive error. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, but it didn't happen. And we, we got it there. didn't happen. And we got there. The celebrations at the end were great. Um, you know, to see the... The, the reaction of, of the players and the manager and the hugs that were being dispensed and, and some of the players who were involved in that, you know, like Xhaka, um, you know, the, the Danny Ceballos, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, guys who, you know, maybe not long ago wouldn't have been considered, uh, you know, part of, of what was going to happen at Arsenal. And, um, yeah, just fantastic to see, fantastic to see the, the, the connection between the manager and the players. I think that's Absolutely. one of the things that, that really struck uh, struck me as I was watching those and I've re-watched them a few times because in real time I was sort of like, we've won, oh my God, I'm so happy. I'll go tweet this, tweet that, uh, talk to this, do this on the website, you know, get the player ratings done. I was sort of half watching and stuff. I went back to watch again and, and uh, you know, that there, there is something there. There is something tangible there between the players and between uh, the manager and the coaching staff that you know, they have turned um, what was a dismal, disappointing season and and still is, was in many respects in terms of our league position into something that we can build on, a platform, a trophy, Europe, all of that kind of stuff. To see the players buy into what Arteta is trying to do and for him to be able to back up what he said to them. You know, Mm. when he talked about if we suffer together, we will achieve things. Here you go, guys. Here you go. There's a trophy. There's a medal. There's a celebration. There's something to add to your list of achievements as a, as a football player. You know, it really creates a, a, a great um, 
platform of trust between Arteta and his players to build on and to go forward from. Yeah, it's proof of concept, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that's a great it, way of putting it, yeah. It's evidence of, that his methods can bring uh, some success to Arsenal. And actually, you know, it's been a crazy period, Project Restart, but there have been some really, really big landmark results in there. You look at Liverpool, you look at Man City, you look at Chelsea. Peter Silva is huge for Arteta. To do that in your first half season of management I think is pretty extraordinary there are a lot of managers with a lot more experience who haven't won trophies you know in their reigns as Premier League managers um and yeah, it's great for the players. And I was really happy for them because they've been through the mill. It was good to see some of the other guys out there, you know, players who've been injured like Martinelli mm. and Mustafi and uh, William Saliba in his mask. Yeah. Uh, still distant. I, I, I don't know if that's because he's been in France recently or something. Maybe but, uh, so. Maybe so. Yeah. That was a, that was a sort of strange component of it. And um, Matt Smith wandering around like a sort of schoolboy competition winner. Isn't uh, that, wasn't that the most amazing thing? You see the stats yeah. going around that Matt Smith, uh, we had a question about that, and I think this is this is true. Uh, let me see if I got here. Uh, from Malk Page, who's at MadMalk25, he said, spotting a delighted Matt Smith in the team-winning photo, looking like a ball boy who sneaked in, got me thinking, have we ever had a player to win an FA Cup medal who hasn't actually ever played for the club? At least not in the league or the Cups. He has yet to make his senior debut for the club, and yet he has an FA Cup winner's medal, which is just an amazing, an amazing story. And I know there are reasons for that. I think today, though, we should focus on on who was there and not who wasn't there. Those are maybe discussions we can have a bit later on because I think, you know, we need to at some point. But today we stay focused on the positive things and and that this kind of young guy beaming he looks like about 15, doesn't he? And he's he's in there just, I could see him like just picking up the medal going, whoa, look at yeah. this. Absolutely surreal for him, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, great to be part of it all. And yeah, it, it, listen, I mean, I don't know if you uh, follow Abemiang on Instagram, but mm. he was like broadcasting from the, from the bus as Arsenal, you know, partied. Some great scenes. I mean, uh, Lacazette and Maitland-Niles showing off their moves. A brilliant clip of Pepe um, being, being caught opening a champagne bottle and then furiously explaining that it's not for him because he only drinks Fanta. Because um, <laughs> uh, he's a, a good Muslim boy. And uh, what else? Yeah, just, I mean, I just reveled in it. I loved it. It was so nice to see this group. And actually... Uh, I have quite a lot of affection for quite a lot of players in this group, weirdly now. I think it's because we've been through the mill so much. I just was so relieved for them that they had this kind of release at the end of it all. Mm. Um, And, yeah, great, great times, great memories. It's a shame that we weren't all there or more of us there. Mm. uh, Listen, it happened the way it happened and we'll we'll, we'll be delighted regardless. I mean... I remember during the trophy drought, we talk about how winning things for a football club was important. Winning is a habit. You get into the habit of winning and and players get experience of it. And it really is an important part of being a successful football club. It's not, you know, something that a lot of football clubs get to experience. So you're right to point out at the top of this that we are fortunate in some ways that despite the... um, the difficulties we've had and the, the the way the season has gone, we still get to celebrate something like winning a trophy. And I don't think we should take that for granted in any way. It is a, a measure of the standards, I suppose, that have been set 
by Arsenal that mm. um, we we have this expectation of winning things, and that's a good thing as well. That that pressure is important, I think, for a football club. And Arteta has spoken a lot about you know what he wants to do and where he wants to bring the club and what he wants to achieve at the football club. Um, let's talk about it from the squad point of view before I ask you a couple of things about the manager. You know, there are going to be changes, clearly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it is something that brings players together, these shared experiences of, of winning. It is something that forms a bond within a squad. Um, you know, it, it helps create a, a confidence in the way that they play. It builds trust with each other. I mean, you look at the the moment when... Was it Aubameyang came over from the the interview he was doing with BBC, I think, and all the yeah. players are in a huddle and he's sort of coming over and you can kind of yeah, see, yeah, yeah. you know, is he the most traditional captain of all time? No, he's not the archetypal, you know, chest thumping leader, shouty captain guy that people might want. But the respect that he holds from that squad, from those group of players, you know, after what he did in the semi-final to score twice, to score twice in the final to help us win the cup, it was it was really obvious how highly he is thought of uh, by by the rest of the squad and and how important he is. Yeah, I love that moment. I'm glad the cameras caught it. It actually reminded me in a funny way of kind of when the whole squad bowed down to Robert Perez, you know, it's that mm. thing of and putting an individual on a pedestal uh, and sort of acknowledging his class. And I, I loved Emmy Martinez in his interview um, said, you know, I told Aubameyang that he was going to score the winning goal for us. You mm. know? And I, I, I know it doesn't take a betting man to imagine that it might be Aubameyang, but I think you're right to point out that, he led the team to mm. this trophy. He scored the two goals in the semi, the two goals in the final. Um, he absolutely is, you know, in some respects, uh, the leader of this of this club. Yeah. I know that there are other people within that leadership group, and I'm I'm not diminishing their contribution, but he has his own way of giving, providing an example, yeah. and he absolutely stepped up. I mean, what do you want from your top striker? Your biggest players in the biggest games you want them to show up and that's something he hasn't in his whole career he's not always been he's not always been regarded for doing that you know it it started at Dortmund and there was a bit of that Arsenal too but if you look at what he did against City if you look at what he did against Chelsea Mm. you cannot argue with it he absolutely assumed the responsibility and uh, yeah he, he I mean they all love him they all absolutely adore him I think and they all know how good he is and of course I mean perhaps we'll get on to this but what happens with him is going to be such a defining thing I think for for I, Arsenal this summer I think we're going to keep him I think he's going to sign he looks I think, he looks yeah. happy he looks like you know when you see him on Twitter posting my manager to Mikel Arteta or on Instagram whatever it was you know I, I think that's important for him and I think if he if he this win will go a long way to convincing him that Mikel Arteta is the kind of manager who could potentially help him achieve some of his ambitions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think there are, there are monetary and financial implications and reasons, um, you know, for a new contract and everything else. But at the same time, he does want to achieve things. And look, maybe he won't get a league title, but, you know, there could be some cups. There could be a European trophy, you know, now that we have the Europa League and... and the fact that we do have Europe, the fact that we do have a bit more money, the fact that we do have this this thing which has kind of protected our reputation in a way, 
you know, to not be in Europe mm. next season would have been a terrible thing for Arsenal, just from the the point of view of how our how how the club is perceived. Still a big club, of course, but one that is, you know, um, going through the doldrums in a way. Now we've won a trophy, which is more than some clubs uh, have done this season, of course. Um, we also get into the Europa League straight away, and Tottenham have got to play three games to get into the group stages of the oh, Europa that's League. That's just that unbelievable. That is. A, here's Jose Mourinho uh, after Arsenal win the uh, the FA Cup. <laughs> we leapfrog them at the last minute. I I am inclined to agree. I mean, Aubameyang is happy at Arsenal, and you know we know we know that he's happy. I think if Arsenal pay, he'll stay, and that's that's what it comes down to ultimately. I think. Uh, I think. You know, I think there's a, a number that if they hit and they offer him a good contract and it offers him security and, you know, all those things and a, a length that he's happy with, I, 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 if you ask me to place a bet, I'd say we will keep him. We mm. will keep him. But, and I think that is the absolutely the right decision. If there's any debate remaining about that, I still think it is absolutely the right thing to do. I mean, he is not going to go anywhere in a hurry I don't think this player in terms of his decline you know it doesn't appear imminent does it no it doesn't it doesn't and when he stepped up and and uh, been the clutch player in in the last two games in the FA Cup you know I think it's hard to under to underplay the the pressure that these guys would have felt going into mm. this game because the implications of losing were so big you know so big for the for the club for them personally and everything else um, the tunnel cam video of Aubameyang in the in the tunnel just before the teams came out was was really interesting. The focus. I've not seen that. What happened? There's, there's just this picture of or the cameras on him for a few seconds as he's waiting to go out, and it's you know you know what he's like as a guy. He's very upbeat. He's very cheerful. He yeah. likes a joke, uh, which isn't to say he doesn't take things seriously. Uh, but he was just absolutely just staring straight ahead, fully focused on what he had to do. And he, he did it. Um, so it's worth looking back at those. They're very good videos, actually, on the FA's uh, YouTube channel, the tunnel cam, the the manager cam. Um, really interesting to look at to give you a bit of a, a bit of insight. But, yeah, I think it is the right thing to do to to uh, extend him and to keep him and you know, there are other issues transfer-wise that we'll we'll deal with over the coming weeks, but that is a very, very big one. You know, what a loss he would be to the squad, to the team, uh, to the club in terms of what he gives us, you know? So they've got to do what they've got to do here. Um, it might cost us some money, but like, what do you want? That is basically the price of success. Well, also, the way the club will look at it is... What does it cost about to keep Aubameyang for three years versus what does it cost to buy a replacement and pay him the appropriate salary? And actually, Aubameyang is, is pretty good value, I mm. think, right now. So, yeah, yeah I, I really, really, really hope he stays. And I, I think this is his team now. Like, you know, he's basically God. <laughs> so, mm. uh, you know, I think everything's geared up for him. I think I think the debate about his position has quietened down, to be honest, because mm. he's just so ruthlessly efficient in the in the role that he's playing. Um yeah, I think and I think the Arteta thing is huge because yeah. they've got something going on between them. Yeah, they they yeah, they do. And it's not just Aubameyang and Arteta. Um I think I'm going to save the Arteta chat for 
for part two um, because we do have some questions about him and uh, I think we sure. need to discuss the impact he's made um, and the job he's done since he took over uh, last December. Before we go into part two, though, I, I uh, enjoyed a bit. This is perhaps something that might have flown under the radar a little bit. Uh, let me just line this up here for you. You remember, James, um, we were talking about um, pregame content and, and that kind of stuff and how there wasn't oh, a great yeah. deal of it. And we did see an interview of Emmy Martinez. Mm. Uh, a long one where he was asked various questions by various journalists and what have you. Uh, and, you know, his story, I think, has been one of the the really pleasing parts. I mean, there's so many, aren't there? Emmy Martinez, Mustafi, Shaka, Maitland-Niles, these kind of redemption arcs that have Sabias, taken place. Yeah. Danny Sabias, of course, another one. Um, all of these little um, nuggets of, of, of enjoyable stuff from an Arsenal point of view. Anyway, Emmy Martinez, he's being asked by the journalist various things and he's asked about a tattoo that he might have and I don't want to I'm not going to give the name of the, the reporter in question but they obviously did a bit of googling on Amy sure. Martinez to um, sure. to find out some facts that may not be known about <laughs> Amy Martinez so okay. we we did uh, in 2014 on Arsblog News, you know the way we have a tendency to do things which aren't necessarily 100% serious. Ten yeah. things you didn't know about Emmy Martinez. <laughs> right? Uh, number four, for example, he cites his goalkeeping, goalkeeping influences as David Seaman, Goykechea, and Stefan Oncho. Um... As a child, this is this is part of the facts. As a child, he was once introduced to Argenti uh, Argentina legends Mario Kempes and Ozzy Ardiles at a summer camp for kids. <laughs> he was so nervous, he vomited chewing gum into Kempes's beard, requiring him to shave it off. There's another little known fact about Emmy Martinez about how he went for a trial at Norwich and uh, Delia Smith kept shouting, let's be having you! And he had to escape through a window. So it's fair to say that these facts weren't necessarily believable. They were flexible with the flexible. truth. Number six. Number six. Here's what uh, number six is. Martinez told Argentine newspaper La Noticia Impostura that when he first arrived at the club, Jens Lehmann was a massive help to him and gave him a piece of advice that he always remembered and had tattooed on his back in Gothic script. <laughs> what he had tattooed on his back is, Now this mountain I must climb feels like the world upon my shoulders. Through the clouds I see love shine. It keeps me warm as life grows colder. Do you, do you recognise that at all? Yeah. Does it, down his leg, does he have tattooed, I want to know what love is? Not quite, but this is... This mountain I must climb Feels like the world upon my shoulder Anyway, he, <laughs> he was asked in this uh, interview, I, I believe you have a tattoo. And he was like, a tattoo? And uh, the reporter said, yeah, uh, uh, Jens, it was to do with Jens Lehmann, some advice he gave you. Now this mountain I must climb. <laughs> and he was like, Jens? No, 
no, I don't know what this is. <laughs> and he was like, no, I don't know what this is. And then they said, oh, well, um, <clears throat> sorry, I'll just, uh, I'll ask you a different question. So right up there with Carl Jenkinson's dad, this one for me. So I'm quite wow, chuffed. that is sensational. Congratulations. That is good. That is good. Um, and you said in Gothic script, which is, I guess, a uh, six-year uh, forerunner for the font that Arsenal ended up using on the back of their shirts. There you go. There you go. You knew. You knew all along. I knew. I knew the result of the FA Cup and everything. I should have put some put some money on this. But hey, there you go. Well, look, there is the end of part one of this uh, FA Cup winning Arscast Extra. We're going to take a short break. We will be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the FA Cup Cup final, FA Cup winning final, FA Cup final winning Arscast Extra. My brain is just about getting back to normal after the weekend. This is where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. I'm fucking these up on a quite regular basis now, aren't I? I think I used to be better. Really? Yeah, I think I used to be better at this. Old age, mm. creeping in. Could be. Just the uh, trauma of the season is getting on top of me. Um, Twitter, Gunner Blog, uh, Arse Blog, also on the Arse Blog Facebook page, and the Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arse Blog member on Patreon. Uh, let me ask you the first question, James, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, it comes from Ian Stone, who's at Ian D. Stone, and he says, did it work out for the best that Arteta didn't take over straight after Arsene Wenger? Much harder to follow a legend than Unai Emery. Would have been much more difficult to sideline Ozil, for example. But just the general point, leaving aside the Ozil thing, which I don't want to discuss today, um, just the, the the idea of Arteta coming in when he did versus um, in May 2018. Um, so I, I'm in the camp that thinks it, it was a good thing that he wasn't the first man. Um, I'll be honest, it might have been better if he'd come in maybe a month earlier. 
uh, I, I definitely would concede that, mm. um, or, or maybe slightly before that. But I do think there was a benefit to having someone kind of act as a buffer as kind of expectations were uh, raised and then lowered accordingly and kind of recalibrated to our sort of new reality. Mm. Um, and I do think a, a fair bit of squad churn kind of, you know, did some of the, the work for Arteta. There's still a lot more to go, let's be clear about that. But yes, I think... I think on the whole, it is, uh, it's not a golden rule, but it's generally better to be the guy after the guy. When you're replacing someone as yeah. you know, iconic and important as Wenger. Um, but you could ask the question, where would we be yeah. if Arteta had been appointed in 2018, you know? That is true. When you hear him talk and when you look at the clarity with which he approaches the job and, and what he wants uh, from his players, what he wants from his staff and from the club, you could say we could be 18 months further down the line, mm. whether it would have been quite as successful. I mean, he, he, he now has a trophy under his belt and that is a big, big thing. And I think we need to discuss that in terms of what, what leverage it gives him or, or, you know, we, we discussed it from the point of view of Aubameyang, didn't we? That, uh, you know, the, this trust that Arteta's methods can, can result in things happening, good things happening. But it is a big thing for him um, to have come in. So you could make that argument. I do think potentially, you know, given the end of the Wenger era, it needed not necessarily to get quite as bad as it did, but I think it also, it did need to sort of not go wrong either. I don't know how to express this. I think maybe he was not 100% the right guy in May 2018, but was 100% the right guy in November, December 2019, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when Arteta was being talked about in May 2018, and, and I had concerns about, you know, his lack of experience and just the scale of the job in terms mm. of coming in after Wenger. Um, so, yeah, I, I sort of... I'm inclined to say, you know, the way it's worked out. I don't really believe in, in kind of fate or anything like that, but, you know, it does feel like it it makes more sense this time. Um, yeah. But but I guess we'll never know. We'll never know what he would have... If he was ready in 2018, um, clearly he's ready now, or and he's doing a fantastic job. And I just think... I'll tell you what I thought coming away from it, uh, is this guy is really a good coach. I mean, mm. for, for me, football since the restart has been kind of a coach's medium. It's been a bit more tactical. They've been able to influence games more with the water breaks, with actually being audible on the pitch. And he has come to the fore. And I think that speaks to his ability. And we know that he's a good coach because look at the tune he's getting out of this team that looks so dismal under Unai just a matter of months ago. I mean, that says something about Emery as well, I guess. But it also tells you a lot about Arteta. It's not like he's taken over and got a new squad of players. Yeah. In, in January, he got Pablo Marie and Cedric Suarez. How many games have they played between them? You know, how many minutes? Hardly any. He's done this with a group that he inherited. So I think it tells you everything you need to know about his coaching ability. Arsenal are in this weird position now where we're miles away from where we want to be. But in Arteta, and I would argue in Aubameyang as well, I think we've got two guys that we we can't afford to sort of <laughs> be too long-term about as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, if Arteta does a good job at Arsenal over the next two years... Clubs who can compete at the very top are going to knock on our door. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think that's something Arsenal have to be cognizant of, and and uh, you know, again, that is that's the, the price of success in a way is that when you do a good yeah. job, people want you. It's the same with players. It's the same with coaches. And you know, I know I've said this before, but to me, I know football is different now, and it's it's more modern, and the setups at clubs are more modern, and everything else. But to me, Arteta feels more like a manager than a coach. Mm-hmm. Something in between a Wenger and an Emery, if you like, in terms of the the job profile. Emery was pure coach. That's all he was. He was the first mm-hmm. team coach. Wenger was the manager of the football club. I feel like Arteta has kind of taken um, some of that in, in terms of the way that he talks, in terms of the relationships. His his man management is is really good. Um, the way that he's dealt with situations and dealt with players. And I think we have to we have to recognize what he has achieved in his first season as a manager in whatever amount of games it is. It's fewer than 30 games. He's won a trophy. Mm. That's huge for him personally, for the club, obviously. But lots of really good coaches and really good managers go years and years before they win anything, if they ever win anything at all. You know, so to get that kind of monkey off your back so quickly is an amazing thing. To do it in the circumstances in which he has done it is even more remarkable because he came into a club that was in disarray. It was a shambles. The way that, that Arsenal Football Club was when he came in was little short of disgraceful. You know, where we were what was happening, what the fans were thinking, the, the relationship between the the fans and some of the players, uh, the executives, all of that kind of stuff. It was in the toilet, absolutely in the toilet. Mm. At Christmas, the most trying time of the year, where you've no time to, to really work with players on the training ground, for him to come in and pick up those pieces and end this season with a trophy is unbelievable. And that's not even mentioning a fucking worldwide pandemic that shut football down for for three months. You know, Mm -hmm. this is a guy who's got something. It is in some ways, I know it's a little bit different, but you remember the Patrick Vieira debut against Sheffield Wednesday when he came on the pitch and everyone went, whoa, this is a player. I think it's something similar in that regard. It's like 120 days active as Arsenal manager. He's won a trophy. And, Mm -hmm. And people... And fans, I think, were well within their rights to be sceptical when Arteta got the job. Now, I was for it and behind it and have been, and I make no apologies for that and and make no bones about that. But I completely understood people who went, well, he's never managed a game. He's never managed a game of football. What what, what is he going to do? It's a valid objection. Absolutely it is. And I think... Uh, I hope for for those people who had those concerns and and who were perfectly reasonable to have those concerns, that he has convinced them to some extent or another that he is the right choice and was the right choice. And for the criticisms that we have leveled at the club and the executives um, throughout this season, which I think are valid and have been valid, we got to give them credit for this one. We got to give them credit for making the brave appointment. Because there could have been an easier appointment. And let me just add one other thing to this before I um, stop pontificating. Uh, This is the second time that Mikel Arteta has arrived at Arsenal when it's been in a fucking mess. 
2012, when he arrived in that panic by end of season lunacy, when we brought in him, Per Mertesacker, uh, Park, Ben Ayun, and Andre Santos. There's a fluctuation of successful signings, if ever there was. Remember how bad it was. We'd just been beaten 8-2 at Old Trafford. We'd lost Fabregas. We'd lost Nasri. The summer had been managed appallingly. The club was in a mess again. And Arteta, as a player, played a significant part in in stabilising things, putting things back on something approaching the right track and helping us back to winning trophies again. Like, it wasn't just him, but he was a big part of that, him and Per Mertesacker, who is at the club now um, as, as academy manager. So this is not the first time that Arteta has come in to a football club which is all over the place and added a measure of stability and security and intelligence and hard work and example and... And it's just a, a strange quirk, I guess, of, of his of his footballing life that it's happened twice at Arsenal. And he's had a big impact, and I'm so delighted for him that the things that he said about changing the culture, about changing the mindset, about what's acceptable, what's non-negotiable, all of those things. He said the right things, but he's backed them up, and we have ended this season with some measure of success with a trophy with European football next season. It, it, it's amazing and wonderful and it augurs well for our future as a football club and what he can do in this job. And he's also, he's also um, made it very, very difficult for the club not to back him because he can say all the things, but if he couldn't back it up, the club could be, hmm, well, maybe, 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 it's now a case of, look what I did with scant resources and no signings and a squad that is, by any measure, imbalanced. Let's say that. I don't want to be disrespectful on a day after we've won a trophy. Um, look what I did with that. Now think about what I can do if you give me what I think we need. So Yeah. Uh, I mean, listen, and, and I ap- appreciate it, it, it's not uh, the club is are in a difficult position financially. You know, they, they can't do everything. I'm sure that they would like to do, but I have a strong sense that Mikel Arteta is going right to the very top, and I think Arsenal need to do everything they can to make sure that is with them. Yeah, um, uh, and you know, it's going to be difficult, but. That's the position we're in. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great. It's great for him because, like you say, it lends him a lot of credibility and leverage in all those conversations. Mm, I mean, we had a question. Let me ask you this one uh, before you do a question. Uh, Grant the Perch, who's at Grant six one seven four zero six two six, who says, "Do you think Arteta will be given proper funding for transfers, or will we have to make do with loans and fading stars in their thirties?" Uh. I don't know if there's proper funding there. I don't really know how he can be given what we fans would determine big money. And and I'm not saying that to be a downer. I just can't see any many businesses being able to do that in the current market. I know Chelsea are out there spending cash, but we know they're in a very particular financial situation. Same is going to be true of someone like Man City. Whether Arsenal can do that, I I just don't know. Mm. What I think that means is that Arsenal will have to operate 
cleverly. They will have to operate smartly. There's no way we can go out and do what... You know, Chelsea have lost this final, but they've bought Timo Werner, mm. bought uh, Ziyech from Ajax, and they're probably going to buy Kai Havertz. I doubt very much that Arsenal could afford to buy one of those guys, you know? Mm. Um, maybe Ziyech, because he had a release clause. But uh, Arsenal needs to be... I mean, listen, to quote Raul Sanyei, they need to outsmart the market and this time they really need yeah. I mean they, they don't have a choice um, they have to operate in that fashion there's no way that they can go out and buy a load of established stars for Arteta I just don't see it personally do you think that's possible? No N- not unless we sell for big money and, and reinvest it that way or KSE and the Cronkies look at what they've got in a manager and decide that that they're going to have to back him because like you say Chelsea have spent big and are going to spend big and they've bought some really good attacking players to add to some of the very good attacking players they already have and you would imagine um, after what they saw on Saturday uh, at Wembley they're going to buy some defenders too because they need to do that United will spend they've got Champions League money uh, Man City we know are going to spend let's talk about them having a £300 million budget um, you know, which is our two fingers to FFP, of course. Liverpool, you know, they're such a good team anyway. They are going to spend. All those teams are going to spend. So, you know, unless there is some measure of ambition and, you know, whether it's in, uh, a combination of intelligence and outsmarting the market and uh, a little bit of help from on high to get some deals done, you know, the risk is that regardless of how good Arteta is, we're going to find it very difficult to bridge that gap. You know, well, but I think he, he has he has been clear. Well, yes, yeah. he has been clear though, hasn't he, about what he wants um, and about um, improving the squad and making it better and making it easier for him to do the job that he wants to do. And I think this this cup win is evidence that if you're the owner of a football club, you've got you've got something. It's like. It's like when Bukayo Saka had this breakthrough season and we went, whoa, we've got to give this kid the contract because he's good. It's the same with Arteta. You win a trophy after six months in those circumstances, you've got something as a manager and you've got mm-hmm. to recognize that. You've got to protect it. And protecting it isn't just giving Arteta a new contract because, you know, he strikes me as the kind of guy that, you know, if he doesn't feel like he's going to be able to do the work he wants to do, then that'll be that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, As I I said, I think selling well is going to be the key for Arsenal this summer and trying to leverage the players we have to enable us to bring others in, be that in swaps or by Mm. getting decent fees for them. Uh, Let's have a question. This was a question you mentioned him there, Saka. Uh, Giacesto, Successesto on Twitter says, loved the performance through and through. Biggest question for me is, do you make any note of the recent exclusions of Saka from the squad? Seems a bit odd that his play has decreased so drastically after signing the contract. Maybe. I mean, I do wonder if he's had a bit of an injury. He did take a big kick, didn't he, in one of the games? Was it against... um, Leicester. Leicester, you know. So it's also coincided with that. Um you know, I thought he's one just of, like bloody Urza, wasn't he? He's got his contract now. Yeah, he's doing nothing. He just put his feet up, just <laughs> wasting away. Exactly. No, I mean, I think, I yeah, I can understand that point of view. I think probably when Arteta talked about 
you know, players playing through pain. There have been some who haven't played a great deal because of that. Maybe he's one of them. I don't read a huge amount into it. You know, did he look happy after he won the FA Cup? Yes, he did. He made a contribution to that. Yes, he did. And I think that's one of the great things about about what we saw were the celebrations, you know, the Hale End boys, Joe Willock, Eddie Nketiah, uh, Bukayo Saka, um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles. You know, it, it, it was a... Uh, Matt Smith, little Matt Smith. Little Matt Smith. <laughs> seven-year-old Matt Smith coming out on the pitch and, and getting uh, this thing. You I know, mean, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that there may be an element of his contract might have been a factor in the selection. I do think that it makes sense, doesn't it? When you want to convince a player to stay, you're going to make sure that player is playing plenty of football. Mm. Even if it's maybe more football than you'd ideally put into the legs of a guy who's, you know, 18 years old or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, now that that's done, they're probably taking a bit of a longer term view of his development and maybe they thought we don't need to risk him. I also think, look at the final. I mean, Arsene Wenger, Arsene Wenger, Mikel Arteta, um, <laughs> went with experience. Do you know what I mean? For the most part, apart from Eddie Nketiah uh, coming on for Lacazette, it was Kolasinac who came on. You know, Joe Willock didn't even get off the bench, which is a pretty rare event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think it showed that there was leaning into the experienced players a bit more. But still, what an experience, as you say, for those players to be part of it on the day yeah. and have won something early on. Exactly. Won something in their careers, it, it makes a difference. And they were part of it in the earlier rounds. You know, you think about uh, some sure. of the games that they had and the contributions they made in, in some of the earlier games. You know, Reese Nelson uh, against Portsmouth, I think Eddie scored against Leeds, didn't he? Joe Willock had a good game and uh, scored in one of the games as well. So, you know, they all played their part. So it was uh, it was a really nice part of of winning. Um, okay, let Certainly. me ask you this. Uh, we had a question here from Niall O'Connor on the Discord. He says, "How confident are you that Pepe will kick on next season?" I know we briefly mentioned him in the in the first half. Um, he said, "Did you also notice he had black colored boots? He looked like the perfect homage to an '80s baller in his new kit." But I thought Pepe's game was really really uh, impressive. Uh, Unlucky not to score that goal. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, what he did, I think, off the ball would have been really pleasing for Mikel Arteta. I agree. And actually, I think that it's a big thing um, to consider when we think about how the shape of the team might change and evolve. Because mm. one thing that this formation enables Arteta to do is to get Aubameyang and Pepe into more central areas. You know, mm. he's playing a lot narrower than he was and we're seeing the benefit of that I thought he was excellent like I said I thought it was his best game for Arsenal in the cup final um, I just thought there was a sharpness about everything he did his defensive work rate was good we were seeing him begin to interchange positions more you know swapping flanks with Aubameyang mm. now and then turning up like you know right in the middle of the pitch um, I am encouraged by Pepe look I think we paid too much money for him Uh I think he was too expensive and I don't know if it was a good allocation of resource. But if you set that aside, do I think he can be a big player for this team in the next three years? Absolutely, mm. certainly. And he, and he is a good age. I mean, that is the thing. And that's partly why he was expensive is that he's now, what, 25. Mm. So, you know, he is in the, in the prime of his career and it's going to be for the next couple of seasons. Yeah. Um, I think it's worth, you know, again, taking into account the context and the circumstances in which he's played his first season in England. You know, he yeah. arrived fairly late in the summer. 
He was part of a team which was, uh, you know, dwindling in terms of its performance level from basically the first few weeks of the season. It just started to go downhill. All the adaptation issues that he would have had in terms of a new country, a new language, etc., etc. Emery goes, Freddie comes in, Mikel Arteta comes in. There are demands on him to play, I think, in a in a different way than he played at Lille. You know, he's not being asked to do uh, what he did there, which he was really, really good at, which is why Arsenal paid all that money. So he's having to sort of not relearn, but recalibrate the way that he plays the game. Lockdown, pandemic, da-da-da-da-da. You know, I think he's ended the season strongly. I think he's almost on 10 goals, 10 assists. So it's not a bad first season contribution for him. And I think it's definitely something for him to build on. So like you, I think it was a bit too expensive. Um but I'm more positive about him now than I might have been a little while ago. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, he is a modern footballer who can be a big part of this team. And and I really liked what I saw from him against Chelsea. I do think, you know, his shooting ability is fantastic. He does a great thing where he sort of puts his studs on the ball mm. and he can, you know, roll past oh, somebody. Oh, that, that, that uh, nutmeg, was it on Rudiger on halfway? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Delicious. Uh, and there was another one on the edge of the box, actually. Yeah, won a free kick, yeah. Nutmeg. So, yeah, he was he was on fire, I thought, in this game. And I, listen, I, I really want it to work out for him. And I think I, I think it's I think it's going to in as far as I think he'll be a big part of Arteta's plans next season. Mm. Uh, and I agree. Can't ask for much more than that. I agree. Is um, it your question or my question? It's mine. Okay. So this question starts with a question, but I think the real question is at the end of the question. It's from Jay. Takezo on the Discord, and they say, "Who is whose is the most important redemption story under Arteta this season?" There's Shaka and Mustafi at the top of most people's list, but for me, it's Ainsley Maitland-Niles, mm. an academy graduate with real technique and athleticism who can play anywhere besides striker or centre half. When he's on his finest fettle, there's surely no way we could replace his utility, ability, and club loyalty in the transfer market without a significant spend. Yeah, it's a great question. I think we had one on Twitter as well from Joseph Green, who says, what more does Ainsley Maitland-Niles need to do to prove himself? 22 years old, played 100 games, versatile player, great uh, attributes, etc., etc. I think that is, certainly in the last couple of weeks, it's been the most surprising one. Um, When you consider where Shaka was and how he's ended the season, that's a huge one. When you consider the way Mustafi was... um, perceived and the the way that his season had gone for Arteta to come in and use him and make him a regular was was you know there's a thin line isn't there between bravery and and foolishness sometimes um you know Arteta came in and immediately put Mustafi in his team despite the fact that if Mustafi had Mustafied to the extent that he'd Mustafied before, there would be huge criticism of Arteta. Mm. It's like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you see what this player has done? So that, you know, I think is a, a testament to the way Mustafi has played and the, the faith that Arteta has shown in him. The Ceballos, um, maybe not quite to the same extent, but to see a lone player play with the commitment and desire and energy and, and everything else that he has is amazing. But... But it was a few weeks ago, not a f- only a few weeks ago, wasn't it, that uh, your colleague David Ornstein mm. was writing about how Maitland-Niles is resigned to the fact that he's going to have to leave Arsenal because, you know, I guess because he's not being played or things weren't going as well as he wanted or, or you know, to fulfill his own ambitions as a player, he would have to leave 
I hope he's having second thoughts now. Um, because he played really well in the semi-final, really well in the final. And I think it's a bit reductive to say that the reason he played in the final was because he played well in the semi-final. I know that no, was a, no, no, I know yeah. that was part of it, but ultimately he played in the final, a game that we had to win for all kinds of reasons that we've talked about plenty. He played in that final because Mikel Arteta thought he was the best guy on the day to help him do what he wanted to do tactically, to beat Chelsea, to win the cup, to qualify for Europe, to to save our season. He didn't just do Ainsley Maitland-Niles a favour because he played well in the semi. He didn't just pick Ainsley Maitland-Niles in an FA Cup final of such importance because he wanted to convince him to stay. It was a show of faith Mm. in Maitland-Niles as a player. And I think... It's a lot easier to pick Saka for, for Arteta. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's the boys the, that's under a long-term the, contract exactly. everyone loves. That's the easy choice. So I, I think if, if you're Ainsley Maitland-Niles now, your mind, I hope, is in a very different place uh, than it was maybe four or five weeks ago where you could understand him questioning, well, what's my role? What does the coach really think of me? I haven't played very much. He challenged me to get my head down and work hard. I've done that, but what's happening? And he's got an FA Cup winner's medal. And there are other players in this squad, bigger reputations with more hubris, who don't have that, who missed out because of their own fault. You know? You know who I'm talking about. I don't want to have to mention the names, but, you know, what have they got to show for FA Cup final day? Nothing picture of your holidays go fuck yourself Malon Niles has shown you and and again it comes back to what Arteta said about everybody being given a chance if you work hard Mm. and if you're willing to to do um, the non-negotiables and all that kind of stuff his reward is a uh, you know an FA Cup final appearance an FA Cup final win and his reputation as a player being enhanced because of that somebody who has ended this season a better player, an improved player, and I think somebody who we should keep, even if he could raise money, I think he's a player we should be keeping because of the versatility that he has, um, the attributes that he has um, in the modern game. They're really, really important, and maybe, you know, there's time to reposition him, perhaps, if we're looking at um, having to, to build our squad in a different way without money. Can he play in midfield? Can he be repurposed into that kind of um, modern central midfield player? I don't know, but it's it certainly feels a lot more achievable now than it did a couple of months ago. And I agree, by the way. The fact that there are people out there, you know, Arsenal players under contract for Arsenal, who are just not in any way a part of the deck. Mohamed Elneny should be fucking ashamed of himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember know, Mohamed El Nenny, guys. Remember Mohamed El Nenny. Well, you know, look. Without wanting to put a downer on it, you know, Mohamed El Nenny is. Look, we can read too much into social media stuff. Mohamed El Nenny <laughs> is sending his congratulations to the team. Lauren Koscielny, who left the club under such a cloud, is sending congratulations to the team. While Genduzi is posting a picture of his holidays. Fuck off. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, it, that is, that is, I mean, even there's a contrast, isn't there, in, in Ozil and Gendouzi's social media. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, not good to see. But on Maitland-Niles, I think he's picked, to be honest, because I think Arteta really trusts him defensively. And Mm. when I watched the game for a second time, which was a lot more enjoyable and less stressful, uh, I noticed how... Every time Chelsea went forward, Maitland-Niles checked his shoulder, saw Rhys James and followed him everywhere he went. And Rhys James was desperately trying to find space because he's a real threat in the attack. He was he was moving in field, he was stepping into the midfield. Everywhere he went, Maitland-Niles was with him. Mm. And then when Arsenal won the ball, bang, he was off, breaking into the space on the left-hand side. He's an, an amazing athlete. He never looks tired. He never looks weary. And he's got really good, I think, defensive uh, instincts. And he's a smart, he's a smart player on the pitch Mm. in terms of how he positions himself. And Arteta really, really values that. Now, I I don't know if he's going to stay or not. I would like to see him stay as I would love all the academy players to become a part of the squad. And I think he can be a really useful big game player. Like when I watched Maitland-Niles in this cup final, I actually thought about when Ferguson used to have players like Park or Fletcher or John O'Shea, and I'm not saying that as a discredit to Maitland-Niles at all. Yeah. They were players who were kind of Swiss army knives who in a big game you would deploy because you knew if you gave them a job, they would mm. do it. And they were so important in winning the biggest trophies for United, leagues and Champions Leagues. They didn't play every single week, but they were there when they were needed. Mm. And I think that he does have that potential. Whether that is a role that he is happy to play at Arsenal, I don't know. And what happens with him positionally if we move away from a system that has wing-backs, I don't know either. But I would love to see him stay. Yeah, me too. Uh, On that, uh, where we had this, where did we have this question? Um, Scott McMurdo on Twitter, at Scott McMurdo. Do you expect a change of shape next season? We all know Arteta wants a creative midfielder to be in the the 11. Does that have to come at the expense of a back three? Interesting question. I was thinking about this during the game, and I was thinking... If Okay, so this is a bit of a complex thought. But I was thinking, uh, sometimes we get really bogged down in sort of, you know, what the formation is. But I was thinking Arteta's 4-3-3 might not look that different from the current team. The reason I say that is he's going to want to keep Aubameyang and Pepe narrow, right? In, mm. in his sort of front five, as it were. Which means you're still going to need attacking width to come from wing-back type areas, right? So yeah. if it's Tierney and Bellerin or Tierney and Maitland-Niles, um, then that leaves you with five players to play with, right? And Between centre-half and central midfield. And I wonder if you, if you put a midfield three in there, would Granit Xhaka, as one of those central midfielders, end up kind of dropping into a back three anyway. Hmm. Um, so I think the shape would be weirdly similar. So let's say the shape was like, uh, for argument's sake, Shaka, Sabios, and someone more creative. You know, I don't know what yeah. it's called, but let's say creative number eight. So it's theoretically, it's a 4-3-3 three, three with full backs and that midfield three and that front three. I think in practice going forward, 
the shape would basically be the same as we saw in the cup final with Shaka dropping in to where Tierney's playing now as the kind of left-sided centre-half, Tierney pushing on. And um, But you would have an extra creative player who's maybe a little bit more forward-thinking mm. in the middle of the pitch. Because I think it becomes difficult to include a, what we would call a conventional number 10, an Ozil, and also have Aubameyang and Pepe in those central areas, unless mm. you replace Lacazette, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm really curious to see what he's going to do uh, in this sort of brief off period that we have before the new season starts on September the 12th. Mad, isn't it? The Community Shield is on August the 28th or 29th or something like that. So I suspect, weeks, yeah. I suspect it could be one of those games uh, where both um, both Arsenal and Liverpool play. Young sides might be a way of putting it, but I am really interested to see, and I suppose we'll know or be able to speculate on that a little bit more when we look at what kind of recruitment we make. Mm. Um, you know, whether it's defenders that we bring in or let go, or whether we bring in the kind of attacking midfield player whose presence demand or more or less suggests you're going to play a certain way. You know, mm. so right now we're wait, we're waiting to see um, what, what he's going to do in in the transfer market. Here's a question from Callum, who's at Cal Arsenal, who says, "Can you rank our last four FA Cups in terms of satisfaction? So the last four out of the fourteen that we've won that nobody else has ever won fourteen, but just the last four, James." Um, okay, I can actually. Uh, and I personally find it relatively easy. Okay. So for me, uh, number one remains uh, the 2014 one because yeah. of the weight for it. Um, number four would be Aston Villa. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, it was sort of relatively routine on the day, but mm-hmm. still very, very nice. And I think... Um, personally, I think number two would actually be 2017 for me. But I think a lot of people will say number two is this one. But I think there might be a bit of recency bias there. 2017 was such an upset, I thought, on the day. And it's such... I mean, I know it's trying to say again. Also, just the fact that there were fans there meant that mm. I sort of found it a more... Um, a more, I don't know, sort of thrilling occasion. Look, I really enjoyed them all, though. I can't stress that. Yeah, I mean, I go with you on the first, number one and number four. I would put 2020 as number two, I think, because of everything that's gone on this season, because of, you know, all the things that have happened and and the sort of turmoil that's been present at Arsenal and how much was riding on this game and what it might mean for the future you know, which is really important and an important consideration. I think whatever happened in 2017, the Arsene Wenger era was was coming to an end. I think we all knew that. I think yeah. just... Should have ended, probably. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, it's just for what this means and what we could do going forward and, and what it, what it uh, can help us achieve, I hope, in, in the coming uh, years, I think this one goes up there for me. Um, so no, no one's really asking about Europe. How, how do you reflect on the fact that this actually gets us into to Europe again? Well, look, I think it gives us again two shots at Champions League. 
Mm. It gives us another trophy to play for. It gives us more games, which I think is an important part of um, what Arteta is going to want to do when we've got a young squad like we do. Like maybe some of these players might go out on loan and, and what have you. I think had we not had European football, I think we'd have had to trim the squad in some ways, right? Because you wouldn't have had that midweek football. You'd be looking at maybe loaning out maybe three or four of the young players that we have. And I do think maybe one or two will go out on loan, but it just gives you that bit of bit more game time. Um, it does, yeah, yeah. Which I think is important, particularly if we're going to play a new system, you know, to bed that in, but also to give game time to some of the players that, that we need to give game time to. So, look, it's a, it's a chance for a European trophy. You know, uh, there, was a, there was a point where I thought, like, fuck it, I don't care about the Europa League. I don't care about the Thursday-Sunday thing. As the season went on and as it became clear um, due to COVID and, and the financial implications of not being in Europe, it certainly grew in importance for me. And that was a big part of of the satisfaction of winning the cup this year. Um, maybe it says something about where we are that, that, you know, it feels so good to be in the Europa League, but that's the reality of the situation. I think we needed it. I think we really needed it. Um, and I'm delighted and, and, we're there. So, Yeah, and let me be clear. I don't necessarily think it's going to be great fun to be in it. I mean, especially in an environment without supporters, you know, some a lot of the appeal of mm. European football is sort of gone. Um, but I think financially it's massive. And I think actually sort of for the status of the club, it does actually matter. I think, you know, it would have just been another indicator of decline at a period where we really don't need that. Um, and I think your point about players is a really interesting one. I mean... I mean, it, it almost casts a, a very different, not very different, but a slightly different light on the goalkeeper situation, for example. I mean, if you have no European football, you absolutely, there's no question about it, have to sell one of those goalkeepers. At least this way, mm. you have two good goalkeepers, or if you're trying to attract a new number two, if someone does go, you're able to actually offer them a fair amount of games. Yeah. Uh, and that matters, I think. Yeah, I mean, we had a question from B at AFC87B, 87B, I guess. Uh, he said, do you see a scenario where we can drop Emmy for the start of next season, knowing that means he will leave? Uh, he seems to fit what we need in a goalkeeper so well and brings a lot of personality to the team. Surely it's time to cash in on Leno. I think we'll, I think we'll keep both next season, is, is um, my feeling on it. I think we'll keep both and... Let the battle commence, if you like, for the number one spot, which, you know, I'm I'm all for. Interesting. I mean, if yeah, I think certainly Emmy will feel like, well, I don't deserve to lose this shirt. Um, and Leno will feel exactly the same, I guess, especially given the way that he lost it. It, it is really difficult to call between them. Do you have a preference? <sighs> I don't think Emmy Martinez has done anything to lose his place in the team. Mm. Um, it's a really difficult one because Leno has been so good. You know, he's been really, really good. But, yeah, I mean, if a guy gets into the team and takes his chance and plays really well, it's a tough one for Arteta. It really is. It really is. I like Emmy a lot. I like his personality. I like his... I. I like his size a bit more than Leno. 
Mm-hmm. I like his, I'm not sure. I mean, the distribution, I think, is is generally good. Nice. I mean, one of the things we haven't talked about, James, um, is how well Arsenal played it around at the back yeah, under really well. some serious pressure from Chelsea at times. And like... I'm sure you were the same. I'm sure many people listening to this are the same. There is an element of heart in mouth at times with some of it because it doesn't take much for it to go wrong. But I think there was uh, an assurance and a conviction and a, a deliberateness in what we did in those cer- uh, situations that's part of what they're being told to do. This is how they're being told to play and they're executing it really well. Mm, mm. So I know yeah, I've gone a- off the goalkeeping thing a bit there, but I thought that was probably worth mentioning. No. And it really struck me re-watching it how, how how well Arsenal did that and also as I said earlier the variety of ways in which they, they did it um, What's your thought on the goalkeeper? I mean I, I, it's a it, it's a difficult one but in some ways it's a really nice problem to have isn't it? It is it is and certainly it was the fashion a few years ago wasn't it that to have two great goalkeepers um, for every big club I mean I think it will be very difficult if someone offers Arsenal a good chunk of money for one of them. You know, given what we've said about the need to rebuild and the you know the lack of finances, if you do get a very good offer for one of them, mm. I think it is tempting to it, to sell. It might be, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a reality that if a good offer comes in for one of those goalkeepers. Like we said before, I mean, winning the FA Cup puts a, a positive spin on everything and gives everything this this nice, warm, glowing feeling. But at the end of the day, what we said about pretty much everybody in the squad, bar a few being uh, potential candidates to be sold to raise money, remains true, you know? Mm. And then that yeah. might mean a decision that's difficult to take or one we don't like, but that's where we are, you know? Yeah, and I, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, we we probably won't ever find out um, that either of these goalkeepers is Premier League winning caliber. But I, I am pretty convinced that either of them would be good enough to get you into the top four. I mean, Chelsea have got into the top four, and they don't have a goalkeeper we're talking of. Yeah, so um, I think Liverpool got in there with you know. It was either Mignolet or Carius or someone like that. You know, I, I, I really, really believe that Arsenal, with either Martinez or Leno, are in a decent position to, to sort of achieve their immediate goals. Yeah, they're not the upgrades we need to make most urgently. That's, you know, no. we're, we're, we're good with what we've got. And at some point, if we need to upgrade, then that's a bridge we cross when we come to it. But, but maybe there, I can imagine a situation... I'm sort of playing it out of my mind where, you know, uh, Mikel Arteta comes out and says, we don't have a number one goalkeeper. We have a Premier League goalkeeper and we have a European go- Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like something like that. And we find ourselves at next year's cup final having the age-old debate about who who's going to start. I like that. Next year's cup final, like it's a, a sure thing that we're going to get there. Well, I mean, that's what we do. We're the Arsenal. We're the it FA Cup to me. Uh, owners. Um, let's do a few kind of quick ones. Um, Okay, I like this one very quickly, by the way, which is uh, from John Foster on the Discord. Good morning, chaps. Would you sell Anthony Taylor in the summer or would you (laughs) give him a new contract? (laughs) (laughs) I like that one too. That's very good. Give him a new contract for sure. Um, Jay Takezo on the Discord. Oh, I think he had one earlier. Uh, He was talking about Kieran Tierney. He tucks his shirt in and is the only player to do that in the team. Does this make him a better footballer? And why do I just love him so much? 
Uh, I'm not sure it makes him a better footballer, but I did like that as soon as he... It had come untucked, actually, just before he was substituted. And as soon as he left the pitch over on the far side, he was like, oh, I've noticed that's out. And he popped it back in. Very, very smart boy. I love Kieran Tierney. I feel like Mikel Arteta might be his dad and he's just found out the the nature of their embrace. (laughs) It was like watching one of those Families Reunited documentaries on ITV. Yeah. Um, But listen, he's such a good character... Uh, and the thing is, he's not just a good character. He's a very good footballer too. He really is. He really is. I think, uh, you know, since since the restart, he has shown exactly why we paid the money that we did. And, you know, before the season began, I, I spoke to our uh, our friend um, Kevin at a, uh, what's his podcast now? I was going to say he was the Lord of the Wing. He used to be the Lord of the Wing, a Celtic state of mind. Mm-hmm. And we talked about Kieran Tierney and, you know, he said to me, look, you've got a gem here. You've got an absolute gem on your hands and uh, it's absolutely absolutely right um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do you know with a, an injury free season uh, under his belt um, it, it'll be great to see it's amazing to think he's only 22 he's been around he's for so a lot long. of football yeah. he's played a lot of football he's missed a lot of football as yeah. well with injuries so I, I'm really excited for him and the role he's played in recent weeks has been I think incredibly demanding tactically complex has involved him playing centrally, which is not something he's massively accustomed to. Uh, has involved him being out on the wing back, be, uh, you know, being an exit ball from from left back as well. I think he's been brilliant, and he's probably our best defender. I would say. Yeah, I mean, he's just an out and out defender. He loves yeah. it. You know, he relishes the physical challenge of the game. Um, there's just so much to like about him and his character. And look, you can't have 11 Kieran Tierneys in your team. They just don't exist. Um, you know, but, but to have one is, is, is fantastic. And the example that he sets in terms of how he plays and how he prepares and, you know, all those, all those things. I think what's, what's, um, interesting is that he's, he's a modern player that fans can identify with. You know, the way some players, you know, they have a lifestyle which is very different to yours or mine or the average guy in the street. You know, they have um, the trappings of wealth and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's hard to identify with that. But, you know, without being too redundant about it, you know, the Tesco bag thing, it just shows there's a sort of down-to-earthness about him that we can yeah. identify with. And I, I, I think that's something that we've been missing a little bit. And I think it's another thing that we have to give Mikel Arteta some credit for is that he has rebuilt connections between fans and the club and fans and players and and fans and the guy who's in the hot seat as the manager um there were a lot of a lot of things to reconnect and mm-hmm. and he's done that very well and Tierney's been part of that he's great I love him um and if Mikel Arteta is his real dad and doesn't want to take responsibility for that I will adopt him just so he knows <laughs> you know he's got a safety net there uh, I thought this was an interesting question, by the way. Alistair Wood, I meant to ask it earlier, but with the focus being on the upcoming transfer window, now the season has ended, how do you now assess last summer's window, both in terms of how the individual signings have done and also the executive committee's performance on the signings overall? Um, I really think Tierney, that's something... of course, is one of those guys. Tierney you know? is one of them. Pepe is one of them. Um Louise, of course, Sabios. Sabios. Um Martinelli. I mean, uh, yeah. when you begin to list the names individually, uh, you know, I think it, it does them some credit. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Look, and when you end the season with a trophy, it, it, it puts a gloss on everything. Um, I think potentially their signings, which next season might prove their worth a bit more than they did this season, if you like. It's hard. Mm. It's hard not to look at how bad this season has been and also tie it into the players that we've had. You know, some of them have been impressive. Some of them have been less than impressive. There have been reasons and context and circumstances and all of those things. So, you know, we still finished eighth with a record low number of points and goals and all that kind of stuff in the Premier League, which is, you know, ultimately the bread and butter. But I'm I'm positive about some of these players in a way that I wasn't. So... Yeah, it's let's, a fascinating summer coming yeah. up. I think really fascinating. It's one that I need to actually stop and have a think about. And you know, I'm going to do the yeah. player ratings, uh, season player ratings on Ars blog this week. And uh, you know, it's maybe one of those you have to step back from the FA Cup a bit to do properly. But at the same time, you have to accept that when players contribute to a trophy winning season, they deserve credit for that as well. Absolutely, yeah. I think some of those players individually have done pretty well, and a lot of them have come good later in the season. Let's put it, let's say that. I mm. mean, you know, Pepe early on wasn't looking brilliant. Tierney was injured. Sabios nearly left the club in January. Um, but I think that the question is about allocation of resource, really. When mm. you look at last summer, and, you know, we spent a lot of money on, for example, Louise or Pepe. Mm. And, you know, even though those guys have done well, in patches, I think you could argue with whether that was they were sensible decisions. Mm. But you know that's the job of Arteta, and actually, I think he'll do it. I don't think that the elation of Wembley will cloud his judgment at all. I, I, I had a really interesting conversation with someone um, not too long ago about Arsene Wenger, someone who'd worked with Arsene a lot, mm. and they said with Arsene, he's such a fundamentally optimistic person that at times you had to protect him against his optimism. Mm. So, you know, sometimes he would say, oh, yeah, we can sell that player or we don't need to buy anybody because I believe that, you know, Maitland-Niles is going to be the new Vieira or I believe that Senderos is going to come good or, you know, Benekophobe is going to seize the mantle. He, I think that uh, Arteta is more realistic in his assessments mm. and I think that he will be pretty ruthless and it might feel brutal mm. in some respects in the light of the sort of elation of the cup final but I think he knows you know the league form is the truest indicator yeah. really of a team's consistency and yeah. ability and it still needs addressing okay one final one before we go because this is nearly a two hour podcast at this point uh, and I know people are like tapping their watches going come on come on finish recording sure, but sure. from the uh, from the discord Simon Thomas King says Aubameyang dropping the cup Giroud's injury Anthony Taylor conspiracy the salty Chelsea tears Arsenal winning the cup has set Spud's qualification to Europe back three games what made you laugh the most uh, <laughs> I've got to come back you know to Giroud's injury for me <laughs> I mean, the screams, you know, they'll live on. They're still, they're still reverberating around that big empty Wembley, I think. For me, yeah. For me. Uh, I mean, look, the sending off was really funny. 
Um, I thought <laughs> I thought Lampard looking sad was really, really funny. I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Frank Lampard losing the FA Cup final. Um, the, the Anthony Taylor thing I'm a little bit more circumspect to laugh at because I feel like inevitably that will come back to bite us in the arse because of Anthony sure. Taylor. Aubameyang dropping the cup was really funny. There's an amazing picture, isn't there, where somebody's captured the moment. I think I retweeted it and somebody said, it's like a renaissance picture. Everyone is just like, oh, all these faces when he drops the cup but that was very funny but to me to me the funniest moment of all was was the Olivier Giroud incident um, and the toppling to the ground like a like a once mighty oak falling to the forest floor and then getting his head pissed on by a badger <laughs> that's what it that's what it felt like to me but James can I say one thing to you um, yes congratulations on getting through what has been the longest Arsenal season of our lifetimes. Oh, man. And thank you for uh, being a part of it here uh, and being on the podcast and and helping me and the listeners um, make sense of or try to make sense of or at least come to terms with some of the stuff that we've gone through. It's been a long season, a difficult one, but I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting it with you. And uh, I'm, I'm so happy for everybody, for all the Arsenal fans, for all of our listeners, but for you as well, that we can end this on, on such a positive note. So thank you. Ah, thanks, man. Well, likewise, and I'm sure the listeners would want me to thank you for all everything Arsblog has done. Particularly, I think, during that lockdown period, you know, it was a pretty bleak time for a lot of reasons. And, you know, we, we kept going, mm. and kept putting stuff out. And I think that was really massively appreciated. I know I appreciated it, you know, listening to the stuff that I wasn't on. And, and shout out to everyone who makes Arsenal content, really, because... Uh, I think it helped sort of keep people going. And to to have this light at the end of the tunnel mm. and this trophy is enormously satisfying. I mean, it's been a really frenetic, crazy period. Yeah. And it's not a big break <laughs> until it's back. But there's a lot to be excited about, For as sure. Josh Cronkey might say. <laughs> yes. Well, look, I'm feeling I, I'm a little bit emotional there now because of that. So, look, thanks again. And to all of you listening, to those of you who subscribe uh, to the podcast, wherever you listen, whatever app you use, if you're one of our Patreon members, thank you so much indeed for your support. It really has helped us uh, you know, to keep things going. And for everybody, um, what a way to end what has been an absolutely bizarre, surreal season to have have such a, an incredible high right at the end of it. Um, I think we all deserve it. So uh, whatever you've done, whatever you're doing, enjoy this. Hope you've enjoyed this show. We will keep going as we do throughout the off season uh, until things get going again with podcasts, with articles, with blogs and news and, and everything else. Uh, so until the next one, thank you so much again. And Arsenal are the FA Cup winners of all time, James. We, we just win the cup. It's what we do. Um, I don't know what else to say. Um, we'll catch you on the next well, one. Go on. Here's to the 14th. Here's to That's the 15th. That's what you can say. Well, and the 15th. And the 16th. We'll be here. We'll It'll be happen. here. And you know what? I want to know what love is. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye.
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.